Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. It's Valerie Koo here, and thanks for listening to this instalment of our pop-up podcast series, Murder and Mayhem. Hope you've been enjoying it. Now, if you want the accompanying ebook, remember you can get that, which is and it's called A Month of Murder and Mayhem. Spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors. You can get that for free at murdercourse.com. So check it out because it's kind of like the analog version of this podcast, where you, you know, you get to listen to your favorite authors here on this podcast, but there we've picked out the key takeaways so that you can have a month of murder and mayhem on paper as well and you can just look up your favourite author and find out their key tip on crime and thriller writing. So I hope you enjoy that. Today, in this instalment, we're listening to L.A. Larkin, otherwise known as Louisa Larkin. Now, L.A. Larkin is famous for her thrillers, and they're awesome. There's The Genesis Floor and Thirst, and her latest novel is Devour. Now, she writes awesome thrillers, edge of your seat kind of stuff. And she's been likened to the likes of Matthew Riley and Michael Crichton. She's also a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. And I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to her insights on how she keeps that pace up and how she does her research. So let's have a listen to L.A. Larkin. So thanks for joining us today, Louisa. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, for readers who haven't read your book yet, Devour, can you tell us what it's about? So Devour is an action and conspiracy thriller. It is the first in a series of thrillers featuring um, a new character called Olivia Wolfe, who is an investigative journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, The very nature of her job means that she goes to uh, very dangerous locations. Um, She investigates dangerous people. 
and um, her life is pretty much in permanent peril. Um, and that, of course, makes it very exciting um, uh, for the story. Uh, in Devour, uh, she is in Antarctica um, uh, at a remote field site where they're drilling down to uh, what they believe is a, a lake that has been buried beneath ice for centuries. Um, and it is beneath three kilometers of ice. It, and in that lake, these scientists believe that there is life, wow. that there is um, alien life um, that has never before had contact with mankind. And so their mission is to bring that life form to the surface. Um, and, of course, the premise of the book is, well, what if that all went horribly wrong? Mm. What if it was a bad decision mm -hmm. to do that? Now, how in the world <laughs> did the idea for this book form? Where did you think, I'm going to write about ancient life buried three kilometres below the surface in Antarctica? Well, um, I, I've always found Antarctica fascinating. Yes. Um, and as I think you probably know, I've, I've been there myself. I spent time there. I spent time with the uh, Australian Antarctic Division and British Antarctic Survey actually interviewing a lot of their scientists, meeting their researchers, learning their survival techniques. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the continent. I'm a massive fan of the protection of that continent. But um, the story of Devour is, um, was really inspired by um, a real expedition to Antarctica in 2012 um, to do exactly this. A British team went to a place um, uh, in Antarctica above what they've called Lake Ellsworth. So the Lake Ellsworth in the story um, is a real place. It's a real lake that they believe is buried down there. And this team did try to dr drill down through the through the ice to to reach what they believe is liquid water because of the warm earth, earth geothermal mm. currents underneath, um, and to find the life form. Unfortunately, their drill broke halfway through. Um, you can imagine how difficult it would be to do that, mm. um, and they had to cancel the mission. So they they never found what they were looking for. And I was reading about this, and I thought this is just the perfect premise for a thriller because if I then take it from that point where they do actually succeed to bring it to the surface and then all sorts of nasty things happen, sabotage, murder, um, people turn up who shouldn't be there, <laughs> it's quite clear that it could be used for something that is not good. I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil it for people. Um, and um, Olivia is, amongst all of it, trying to find out, um, you know, what is going wrong and to prevent um, a, a global catastrophe. And that's really what the story is about, that she um, will become a person who will try to prevent this, will become very isolated, will not be believed by her peers, by her boss, by the police, by anybody. Um, and um, she will have to potentially sacrifice herself to stop this terrible thing from happening. Mm. Now, so Olivia Wolfe is the protagonist and I know that you're really passionate about having strong female leads, particularly in books like this, where this is, as you say, a conspiracy thriller. Do you think they're generally missing from the thriller genre? You know, Valerie, that is a really great question because 
I the reason why I write thrillers um, is because I love reading them and I read every night and I've always got you know a thrill under my nose from somebody and you know thrillers do span the term thrillers does span a very very broad spectrum of of the genre and you can get anything from the sort of more psychological thriller where you you sometimes have, say, a woman being stalked by a bit of a psycho nutter um, and the women, woman is sometimes but not always the victim of the story who then becomes the heroine. Um, you have a lot of thrillers where um, uh, women play important roles but they are the supporting characters. So, I mean, just off the top of my head, I don't know, everybody tends to know, say, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Well, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, the supporting uh, character is, is a female who's also a symbologist um, and, you know, she provides a vital role, um, but she's often in terrible trouble. So she needs rescuing. Um, there are some thrillers, more at the action and conspiracy end, which is where I write, um, where you do have some female leads. Um, they then again tend to be more your ex-military types um, or, ex, or, or R or F FBI, some kind of trained person. Um, I think that is possibly because inevitably when you write the kind of fast-paced action, end of the world as we know it, where the stakes are high and the enemies are usually armed and trained and very dangerous, mm -hmm. that you tend to have male leads um, because there are almost inevitably fight scenes um, and people get hurt and the central character does get hurt. Uh, but I'm, I see no reason why you can't have a woman in that role. Um, but I'm not keen to create, um, or I wasn't keen to create, um, a, a female lead who was ex-military or, or ex-military police or ex-police or, and so on. Um, because I, I'm very fascinated by, um, what investigative journalists do and actually how um, incredibly hard the work is and actually how incredibly dangerous. And um, the inspiration for Devour and the inspiration for the character of Olivia Wolfe, although I must stress that um, this particular journalist in no way resembles Olivia Wolfe. I've completely made up Olivia Wolfe's life and, and personality and, and everything else. But the inspiration was a journalist that I used to read. I used to read her articles voraciously, and her name was Marie Colvin, and she was an American journalist um, who um, reported mainly from war zones. Um, you may have seen photos of her because at one point um, she lost an eye, um, um, was badly injured, and she, she was a sort of uh, an attractive woman, but she had a black eye patch mm -hmm. as a result of that. Um, and anyway, she, she was a great believer in reporting the innocent victims of wars, and they were often the women and children. So it meant that she was going in where bombardments were happening and, and so on to report this. Um, and I believe from the top of my head, it was mainly for The Guardian in London that she was reporting for. Um, so forgive me if I've got that wrong, but I think that's correct. Um, but very sadly, um, in the bombardment of Homs in Syria um, in 2012, she died. Um, but her bravery um, and her resilience and her desire to pursue the truth um, because that's what she felt that that was the role that that, that was the role that she had she kept governments and the military um, and 
all of us honest by telling us about what was really happening. And I, and I thought, wow, you know, I write about made-up heroes and made-up heroines, but here is a woman who I believe was, you know, really incredibly brave. And then I thought, well, wouldn't she make a fantastic character in a thriller? And um, that's really how the idea of having someone like Olivia Wolfe um, as a series character, that I sent her off to all sorts of dangerous places and she uncovers all sorts of nasty um, things going on, um, but she's brave enough to keep going. So you say that this is going to be part of a series. You've already, presumably you're working on the second book already? I am. Um, uh, so I've just got back from South Africa where the next book um, is mainly set. Right. Um, and um, there, there is already a YouTube video out about this, so I'm not going to spoil it if I, if I basically say that there, um, there is a topic um, which I think uh, is very close to a lot of people's hearts if they're concerned with the poaching that is going on in South Africa and the syndicates, the powerful syndicates that are behind it. So I won't say any more, but okay. <laughs> um, it's called Prey, as in P-R-E-Y, mm-hmm. Um, and that's the next one in the series. So you, the book is called Prey? Yes, the next one. Ah, okay. yes, after Devour. Yes. So we've got Devour, then we've got Prey. And the that's title's that's really it. sort of, um, ref, um, well, the plan is that titles will reflect the main topic of the story. Yeah, brilliant. So you obviously take your research seriously because you've just gone to South Africa for the next book. You have already, you've previously gone to Antarctica because, of course, one of your previous books, Thirst, was set in Antarctica as well. When you went to Antarctica, did you go there um, with specific research that you wanted to do because you knew that these were some of the plot points in your book or did you go there just to basically suss what was going on and then write your plot accordingly depending on what you discovered? Well, the when I was in Antarctica, um, I was writing, um, well, working on first. So, um, uh, so... I wanted to I, – I think um, there are some locations where um, through research, through reading, say, journalist blogs and, and all sorts of things, you can, you can get away with perhaps not being there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult, though. I think, you know, you use pictures and so on to try and um, bring um, locations to life. But I think when um, – the environments are something that you're really not used to. I think it's very difficult to do so. So if it's at all possible, I do try and get there. So first, for, for me, going to Antarctica at that time was to experience the cold, to mm. know how debilitating it can be, to understand how dangerous a location it is in itself without adding murderers to the mix, you know, <laughs> or potential assassins or anything yes. else, you know. Um, and um, to smell it, to touch it, to taste mm. it, to hear it, to hear the noises, you know. I remember when I was one time when I was there when um, I thought, I, I mean, you know I'm a dog lover. Mm, yes. So, and, I, and, and, and there are no dogs in Antarctica. Many years ago there used to be dogs, sled dogs, but they were ban- banned from Antarctica a long time ago. So un- unlike where the Arctic, they have sled dogs. In the Antarctic, they do not. But I was sitting there thinking, I can hear a dog barking. Am I going mad? Maybe I am. Um, but it was a fur seal that sounded 
Um, oh. I swear, honestly, it was it was like a dog and it completely amazed me. And then I turned around and I could see this fur seal on a rock looking very stroppy and staring at me and, <laughs> and he, he was doing this barking noise. But it's little details like that that I think it's very hard to pick up if you can't actually be there and live mm. it. Um, and I hope, I hope it helps, you know, bring the story to life. Oh, um, absolutely. And- there are some scenes where I'm sitting there and I'm shivering. <laughs> because I, oh, good. You know, well, because that's, that's a great response. Yeah, Thank because you. you actually feel, oh, my God, really? People need to exist through this kind of environment. And it's really, really visceral and it's really, really, well, real, obviously. So I think obviously visiting there and rather than just reading blogs on Google, it makes um, makes a big difference. So you're on to the second Olivia Wolf book. Now, um, before you wrote this one, before you wrote Devour, had you planned out the journey? Had you planned out the, the plot or are you the sort of writer who just discovers, starts with a premise and starts writing and sees what happens? Well, um, it's it, it's interesting because I have changed a bit mm. over my writing career, um, and I think it's because um, uh, how should I put this? With every book, I want to do better. Mm-hmm. With every book, I want to challenge myself, um, and I want to produce the absolute best novel yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what has been happening is. Um, uh, leading up to Devour, and particularly with Devour, it's the most complex of my thrillers, as in lots of plot twists. There is a psychological thriller element to it with the stalker, um, which is a subplot. Mm. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of potential um, uh, villains in the story, uh, and I'm deliberately keeping Olivia and, I hope, the reader guessing um, all the way along the way. Um, there's one character, Vitaly Yushkov, is he or isn't he, should he or shouldn't he be trusted? You know, is he or isn't he with the SVR, which is what used to be the KGB? Um, so because it's such a complicated and I hope it, and therefore intriguing and exciting plot and with, with subplots, um, I needed to plan a lot more. And so when I first started out, um, it was much more... Um, you know, let the pen, just keep the pen moving, as you say, which really these days, of course, is keep your fingers tapping over the keys, Um, you know, and um, I'm a great believer in the combination of the two, but the way I worked with Devour and the way I'm now working on Prey, and this this is going to sound so embarrassingly um, (laughs) old-fashioned, so just bear with me, Mm because I've tried all sorts of things and all sorts of ways of doing this. And eventually, I think you find what just works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And do you remember that um, when you used to go to libraries, Mm -hmm. they used to have little index cards in wooden boxes? In the catalogue, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd pull them out and you search for an author name and then there'd be this little card. Well, those little cards you can still actually buy from the post office, believe it or not. Um, And so what I do is... um, I summarize my chapters on these little cards and, and I'm, um, I tend to write shorter um, chapters um, and, you know, we're talking normally around 70-odd chapters for a thriller. So, you know, there's quite a few of them. And then I, I, I plan, you know, who I, I make it clear on those cards whose point of view is it, 
So in Devour, there are a number of different points of view. Uh, Olivia's, of course, is the main one, but there are others, like the stalker. Um, and um, I put down the point of view and I... Um, uh, you know, write down what the key points of the particular chapters are. You know, are, are, am I writing, you know, a revelation about who the villain is? Is it about, um, is it an inciting incident that will propel the central character out of their comfort zone? And so I sort of go through in that sort of way. And then I go to the dining room and I lay all these cards out on my dining table because it's a big one. And I look at it and I take a step back and I go, you know, I might say to it, say, I'm allowing too much time to introduce this important character. I should introduce them earlier. Or um, this action is taking far too long. It's not exciting enough. I'm going to bring it forward. And so by stepping back that way, but I prefer to do it physically. I know you can do these sort of things. There are all sorts of like software programs that you can do. I prefer to physically pick up the card and move it around. I'm, I also prefer to physically read. Um, a printed copy of a book. So I'm, I clearly like to be that more sort of um, directly engaged type of person. So I am, I probably, if, um, I was in a debate a couple of years ago, which was, are you a plotter or a pantser? Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure a lot of people have attended those kind of debates. Um, and I put my hand up for a plotter because um, I think, I'm not as um, meticulous as some authors are. I know there are, there are authors out there who almost plan their whole book. You know, yes. I mean, it's so detailed. Um, but I like to ha know where I'm going to make sure I've really got it as tight and exciting as possible. But then I give myself total permission to, to, to let the writing process take over. So if I find myself doing something that really isn't as per I'd planned – but it's almost inevitably way better. I just let it happen. Um, so it's that sort of st it's that strange mixture of um, your imagination taking over, but at least knowing the, the direction that you want to go. And invariably, well, when you let it happen, when it's taken you off in another direction, in your experience, have you typically found that you stick with that direction, and then you need yes. to rearrange the rest of your cards, kind of thing again? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, um, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'd say some of the best plot, plot twists, the ones that people have really commented on, you know, you get the nice comments in Facebook and email saying, oh, wow, I never saw that coming. Yes. You know, what a great, you know, um, thing I hadn't, you know. Yes. Um, then um, it's, it, it's inevitably because I've follow, let the character do what they would do naturally rather than trying to force them Mm. Um, perhaps into a behaviour that, that just wouldn't be right. They wouldn't react that way. And I, but I think to be able to do that, you need to know your characters really well. So I spend um, – I'm in a genre that is very plot-driven, inevitably. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I spend – the first thing I do when I'm, I'm approaching a book is the characters. It's knowing those characters back to front, everything about them, how they would react to certain situations, what their strengths and weaknesses are, you know, do they believe in God, what socks do they wear? You know, I mean, I'm talking everything. Um, so how do you do that? How do you do that? If you're starting to formulate a character, do you write all of that down or have a file on them to, with their socks and stuff like that? How do you do that? <laughs> I do write it all down. I have um, – so, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching um, – with the Australian Writers' Centre um, and we get to character, 
um, characterization. Um, I actually um, share these questionnaires that I have, um, and I, I have these questionnaires which are based on um, physiological, psychological, and sociological questions, um, which help me form the entirety of the person. And, and you know, there are some strange ones on there. Um, but, you know, um, like one of the questions might be, do you have many, if any, friends? Because, or, you know, are you kind to animals? Which, of course, you know, there are, there's a lot of criminal evidence that people who end up doing horrific things to people actually very sadly start out on animals. So, you know, those questions might seem bizarre, but, um, uh, but particularly if you're creating um, a pretty nasty character um, who is, you know, um, the adversary, um, I need to really get into their head. I need to know why they're doing the things that they're doing and how they've become that person. Because I'm a, I'm, I, I'm a great believer that, you know, uh, People will be doing these terrible things not because they are innately evil. Mm. It's because of um, the, the world that they have come from. It is because of something that has happened to them, um, a brutal way that they've been treated um, or they've been indoctrinated. Um, you know, there are um, – I'm not very good at books where a character is presented as just evil. Mm, mm. No, I, 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 I like a book to – give me at least a bit of an insight into, into how this person could be doing these awful things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So can you give us some timing, some, some milestones in terms of let's just take Devour because that's the book at hand. Um, and it, like how long did it take you to think of the 70 index cards um, to, to write them down, um, then to start the writing process? How long did that take? Uh, until you got to your first draft? How long was then the editing process? Can you just give us some key blocks, if you know what I mean, of time? So people get an idea of yeah. how long this process actually took for you? Well, um, okay, so I think one of the, the one of the really good things about having a contract with a publisher, apart from the fact <laughs> that eventually you get paid, yes. just, which is always helpful, yes. Um is that it gives you a deadline. Because mm. um, um, one of the pitfalls of the genre that I write is that um, it is it takes you into fascinating zones and you start researching fascinating people yeah. and it can be quite distracting. Um, but to answer your question, um, I think um, I don't have a shortage of stories that I can write. I've probably got about 20 in my computer already lined up. But really? I... I, I will find the inspiration from anything from watching um, something on the news or Googling something or a friend will prompt me and said, have you heard about this? This is really weird. Mm. Um, and I note it down as a story idea. So if we, if we park the idea that I'm not searching for a story, I already know broadly the story I want to write and I've done enough research to know that the story can be um, told credibly. Mm. So that actually does have legs. It's not ridiculous. It, mm. could, it, it, it could work. Um, then um, really the index cards and, and planning it out, um, probably a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but that's very big picture stuff, um, you know, you're just sort of jotting down on cards that like a, cent, a few bullet points maybe. Um, 
But where, if we're starting from the very beginning, the main, the, the thing I spent most time on are the central characters. So the, the you know, if you, if you want to call them the hero and the villain of the story, they're the two most important because they need to balance each other. Um, um, and you need to start a thriller with all the odds stacked against the the hero or heroine, and seemingly all in favour of the of the uh, of the villain. So I spent quite a lot of time on on the on the central character. So I'd say um, probably it's it's very hard because it kind of they they cross over each other. But I'd say probably about um, oh a couple of weeks on those as well, mm-hmm. on the characters and supporting characters like there's. Um, an SO15 Metropolitan Police Detective, you know, there's a retired detective in it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's the stalker character. Um, that character required a lot of research because I needed to make them credible. So I needed to talk to um, a clinical psychologist about this who's dealt with this kind of um, person um, who also has um, a brain injury. Um, so then I think really it's a case of you start you you start writing um and then you just let it go at, um and see where it'll go and probably the first draft is more about finding the direction of your story um and I'd say probably that's about um, oh, I don't know 5 months right and and during in that 5 months how much time are you committing to it like on a daily basis do you write every day do you aim for a word count each day how do you actually make sure that the words come out um I well when I'm not having to do promotions and things like that because Devour of course is it's coming up to a time where I'm I'm getting a bit distracted you know relaunching websites and writing articles and things like that. So that's that's a difficult one I, f- I find to balance. But um, on the whole, um, I will always work at least five days a week. Um, and I like to start really early. So I'm sitting at my desk, usually in my pyjamas, with a cup of tea by seven. Because um, if not before, sometimes six, because that is the best time. You wake up, your head is clear, and it is the, the time when I write the best scenes. Um, Because you haven't got cluttered with distractions in the day, phone calls, emails asking you to do things, all of which is important, but it drags you out of this imaginary world. And and I find that the quality of my writing is hard to maintain later on in the day when there are other distractions around, which I try and, you know, try and not (laughs) – I try not to answer emails and things like that until later um, or do any kind of marketing activity until much, much later. So I probably stop writing um, about five o'clock. You stop writing at about five o'clock. About five o'clock, and okay. then I'll I'll do the other stuff that I need to do um, yeah. generally. Although at the moment it's a little bit the other way around because there are a lot of it, urgent emails coming in from say sure. Hachette um, for publicity stuff, and I'm thinking, well, I've got to make that a priority because they need it quickly. Um, but yeah, that that I, I, I'll do five ways. But there are, there are some authors who um, absolutely will write every single day. Um, you know, um, I think Stephen King writes every day. Um, Rob McCall Smith, I think, works all every day, even on Christmas Day. Would you believe it? So, um, but uh, you know, I I don't find the writing bit. I, I don't ever have a problem with the writing bit. I have a problem with distraction. Yeah, sure. I, I find that I start thinking, oh, I really should answer that email. Or, <laughs> oh, I haven't put anything up on Facebook yet. I'm going to get people, you know, I, I'm, you know, the publishers say you've got to 
got to keep interacting with people on Facebook and Twitter, and I absolutely understand that. Um, but then I, I find myself taken out of the writing world. Of course. Um, anyway. So um, as you say, you teach crime and thriller writing at the Australian Writers' Centre and people love your course. And what I'm interested to know is when you're teaching that and you've got, you know, people who are fresh to, to, to writing the genre anyway, they probably do read it, what are some of the common misconceptions people have about crime and thriller writing that, um, that they might learn or that you feel uh, it's important for them to know? Yeah, I think, well, one of the first things I try and help clarify is what kind of story the people in the class actually want to write because um, there is a little bit of confusion about what a thriller is um, and say what a detective-based story is. They are actually very different um, and sort of try and help them um, because I think you kind of broadly need to know that. So can you Um, just, you know, flesh that out a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, So um, a thriller is um, generally about a character who needs to prevent a terrible thing from happening. Um, The stakes are incredibly high. And so thrillers um, tend to be at the, you know, they're talking about things like the assassination of the President of the United States, Mm -hmm. the release of a virus that will terminate mankind. It could also be um, some, you know, uh, terrible killer who is just, you know, got a terrible plan to blow loads of people up or to to hurt children in a school or something like that. But these are big things. And it's about a central character stopping, trying to discover what's going on and stopping it. With um, so the, there, there are people who do die along the way. I mean, that's inevitably the case with um, uh, you know a thriller. But it's not like a detective-based crime fiction story where you have a body at the first chapter, almost at the first chapter, almost certainly in the first chapter, and then the detective, FBI agent, and so on, um, then has to find the killer. It's a sort of the big event has already happened. Now, yeah, more people may die along the way, but it starts with the death of somebody, mm-hmm. and that's the focus. Um, so it sort of it, it, it goes about a different way, and the detective tends to be a bit more procedural, not always, but, you know, a bit more how they're going to go about hunting down the identity of this person. Um, uh, with a thriller, it's... Um, often involves a lot more mystery about what is this all about? You know, what is actually going to happen? And you'll find that the central characters will be going off in all sorts of wrong, wrong directions, assuming that, in fact, this person is about to do A, when, in fact, really the plan is to destroy B. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So um, that's one of the sort of things I try and help with. Um, the other thing is that... Um, Having a central character, a lead character. Um, now, I know there are books out there where you have, say, numerous points of view and numerous characters. Like, I mean, you know, um, Game of Thrones, you, you've got all those different characters. Um, with crime fiction and thrillers, it's not to say you can't have that, but it, if you're beginning, 
your writing career, it's very complicated and it takes a lot of skill to do that. Mm. Generally, you're talking, if it's detective-based fiction, you're talking the lead detective and the person they're trying to catch. They are the center. You want, you want those characters. You don't want... Um, three lead detectives all, you know, you're following all of them yes. because you really want to be, be supporting and cheering on one character that you really identify with. So when they fail or get hurt, you know, you're really moved by it. And the same with the thriller. Um, like I sometimes get questions of, um, well, you know, if my central character, um, you know, really can't cope with meeting the um, – the, the villain of the story, maybe I'll just sort of kind of send the cavalry and let them to sort, sort it out. And I was like, well, no, you can't really do that because the whole point of a thriller is it's a battle between good and evil and good needs, not always, and this is something we do discuss, but the whole idea is that, you know, your, your reader will want the, the good character to vanquish the bad character. Um, and you can't deny your central character that and let someone else come in and take the glory because if that's the case, we should have been following the character who comes in and saves the day because the climax of the thriller is the ultimate battle between them. It doesn't have to be a physical battle, but it is where the two characters will face it off and one will win or half win um, and the other one won't. So you say that you you read thrillers, you you have twenty stories in your computer ready to go. Do you obviously you're a big fan of the genre? Do you uh, you know when you're doing the laundry or driving in the car? Are you thinking <laughs> about you know saving the world from <laughs> destruction and that sort of thing all the time? Well. Yeah, um, I do constantly think everywhere I, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Everywhere I look, I think, I sometimes will pass someone on the street and go, what a face, what a look. Oh yeah. my goodness, that person would be ideal for X character. Or, um, you know, I'll see something on the news and I'll actually scribble it down. Um, or I'll, I'll, I'll suddenly have an idea, when I, as you said, when I'm driving, I go, I realise why this isn't working. Because sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll do something, you'll think, you know, this just isn't, this isn't right. Mm. Um, and at the moment, I've just, I'm just, it got, had that kind of same situation where I thought, mm, there's something not quite, there's not the right balance of characters at the moment in the next book. And then I've realised why and what kind of, I need to change the role from um, a journalist to a detective. This is a supporting journalist, not the central character, yes. um, to a South African detective, and that will actually rebalance it. Um, um, yes, yeah, so, so yes, very sadly I do. And <laughs> it, it can sometimes get a bit depressing if you're focusing on the yeah. horrors because I'm yes. constantly reading. A lot of my stuff is based in science um, um, and scientific research and you know, for instance, I was asked to do an article um, recently about the 10 most amazing things I learned whilst um, researching Devour. And one of them is about, um, and, and, and you may know this, Valerie, but um, I was a bit shocked that we um, potentially have the capacity to eliminate smallpox from the planet completely. So all we have to do is destroy the last remaining smallpox viruses and it's gone. But um, these viruses are kept in two maximum security laboratories, um, one in America and one in Russia. Um, now, the big question is why? 
Why are we keeping them? And then the next thing that I thought was really quite spooky was they were supposed to be the only places in the world where smallpox existed in, in you know, obviously sitting in these vials. And um, I don't really remember, but in 2014, um, some janitor, I believe, was clearing out an old laboratory in Maryland in the USA um, and came across this sort of storage unit that had been completely neglected um, and opened the fridges the freezers, actually, it was a frozen sample. Um, and it was later discovered that that was smallpox that had been um, sitting there quietly, um, <laughs> you know, in this laboratory. And you think, yeah, that's not a good idea. So anyway, <laughs> but you see, you know, and, and then, of course, it leads to the question, I mean, you know, I'm not particularly planning on writing this story, but, you know, what if somebody who knew a bit about science thought, wow, yeah. I've got a chance here to release smallpox <laughs> Um, you know, and, um, you know, what could I do with this? How could I use it as a weapon? So, you know, you, uh, and I tend to think about all these things. When I'm reading these things, I'm thinking, now, would that make a good story? So this is, this is kind of a bit of a dark world that I, I'm afraid I do spend a lot of time in. Yeah, do you ever have to check yourself and pull yourself out of it if, you're, if you've been delving into too much of the dark side of things? I do, because um, I think... Um, you know, sometimes it can be a bit, wow, we just do some, you know, human beings do some pretty terrible and sometimes really dumb things. I mean, we mm. do great things too and this is the problem. It's like if you're, if I spend as much time as I do thinking about what could go horribly wrong because really that's what a thriller is about. It's like the worst thing that could possibly happen and I'm creating stories around it. <laughs> um, so I do, yes, I do. And, and you know, that's one reason why I wrote, um, you know, the dog detective story, the, 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 um, the humorous story, because um, it was light and uplifting and fun and uh, completely different. Yes. And so that took me into another world where, I, you know, I would giggle to myself. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so I think, and, you know, and sometimes if I find I'm getting a bit too... Um, you know, dark and gloomy, I'll call, call up a girlfriend and say, I think I need to meet you, I need a glass of wine and I need to kind of like refocus on the good things in life. Yes, because when I, I mean, I enjoy, I really enjoy reading thrillers, but when I've gotten to the end of one, I'm often a little bit exhausted and I, you know, because I'm, I, I keep that tension because I want to know what happens next and it's, and I'm living in that world for that period. Um, <laughs> what do you hope people will feel when they've read your book? Right, what do I hope they'll feel? Yeah. Well, I do, yeah. Look, I think through, I think if, um, if you are feeling emotionally exhausted at the end of a thriller, then the author has done a really good job because it is emotional. It, a thriller is an emotional roller coaster. Mm. Um, it is meant to be. You're meant to be you know, terrified when, when the character's in terrible danger, elated when they've had a success, um, mortified when everything's gone horribly wrong, you know, upset when they're upset. So you do, you're taken on quite, quite an emotional ride with a thriller. Um, sorry, what was the question again? What do you hope readers will what do you feel hope when they're feel? reading yeah. your book? Um, or how you would like them to react? Ah, uh, look, I hope they will have enjoyed it. I think the thing is that they would actually thought, wow, that really got my, my heart pumping mm. and, you know, I really enjoyed the character. I hope people really like Olivia Wolfe, mm. um, that they want to carry on with her on her next 
Um, Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be um, a Writer. You'll find the show notes I, at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. Or sign up for way, our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter think about at writerscentre.com.au slash um, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. Um, fascinating, worrying, um, you know, um, frightening. Uh, so... There, there, there is a lot more behind them, and that you know, uh, I hope they might go away and think, "Wow, I've never, hmm, I've never thought about things perhaps that, from that point of view, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing." I've just sort of not really paid much attention to it, and you know, it would be interesting to find out because then I think the story lives on, that it mm. it, it moves into a, a more real world scenario, which um, can be equally fascinating if you move over to the world of non-fiction so mm. you know um a, a book set in antarctica um you know if, if people want to then find out about the real um, expedition to antarctica they can yes um you know um they can find out about the real lake ellsworth project um and they can also think about the question perhaps you know is it the right thing to do you know if we're always um exploring and trying to do these experimental things you know is the result always good you know mm. these are questions which I, I'm not I'm not going to you know say I ever have the answers to but I think it's good to take a step back every now and again and say you know in this world I live in is this a good thing mm. Um, mm. and should I be paying attention to it perhaps and finally for people who want to be who want to write crime books or thriller books and they want to be in a position like you one day where they've actually written one, they've published one, what's your best, what's your advice to them if they haven't got there yet? Uh, my advice would be that it's probably the toughest thing I've ever done. So I've worked in all sorts of um, corporate careers I can safely tell you I've never worked so hard <laughs> um, but the reward is far greater because you're doing it for yourself you know you're doing something that is very personal um, and it's your book um, and it's your legacy I guess that that's that's the thing it's very it's a very personal legacy that you leave the world um, my my main advice would be don't give up if you really love doing it if you really enjoy the writing process, then don't give up because you will get a lot of people who will say no to you, a lot of people who won't like what you're writing, but there will always be people who do and it's just a case of finding them. Great advice. And on that note, thanks so much for your time today, Louisa. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. There you go. Some great insights from L.A. Larkin. I love the way that she talks about the fact that a thriller is quite simply like a, about a character who needs to prevent a terrible thing from happening and the stakes are incredibly high. Now, that's so important. The stakes have to be high for it to be a thriller. Otherwise, we're not going to have that edge of your seat pacing. We're not going to have the reader breathing short, shallow breaths because they're wondering what's happening next because the stakes aren't high enough. So, make sure when you're writing your thrillers that you know they don't have to be necessarily about saving the world because preventing a terrible thing from happening could be something domestic could be something a little bit more laid back 
And what's important is that the protagonist or someone has a lot to lose. So with your thrillers, have a think about, do you have your stakes high enough? Sometimes I've read some manuscripts and they're really well written, but the stakes just aren't high enough and the reader just doesn't really care enough. So very important if you want to write a successful thriller. Hope you enjoyed today's instalment. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.